thanking Brother Hickey for allowing me to speak this morning. It's indeed a privilege to be able to preach the Word of God. I, uh, I have produced and edited a serious theological paper since 1984. It's heavy reading. This is just a little commercial here. And it's not for those seeking fluffy and politically correct theology. It's faithful to the Orthodox Reformed faith. And if you'd like to be on the biblical biblical examiner mailing list, please give me your email address. And uh, the post office just doesn't work. Also, about four years ago in West Virginia, a visitor from D.C. asked me to put on asked to be put on our Sunday morning uh, list. We were in the book of Hebrews at the time, and uh, we have been sending out try to weekly a Sunday message or whatever it might be, and we're just finishing up Psalms 45. Again, let me know if you'd like to be on uh, either of these lists. Now, very few exceptions... The only kind of preaching I do is expository. I use an abundance of scripture in my preaching and teaching. I believe that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I will only give references because of time's sake. So I urge you to write down the references and obey Paul's instructions to examine the scriptures to see if these things be so. Now, this sermon, this message will be on sermon audio, and I will have it posted at biblicalexaminer.org where I post all my messages, and I can send notes by email. This message this morning is out of a very lengthy series I did in the book of Ephesians. Going through the book, there was something caught my attention here in verse 1. So if you would, open your uh, open the Word of God to Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, um, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, faith here is the gift of God. You see that, don't you? God is the one who gives the faith. We do not work it up. You can't grit your teeth 
and work up faith. It is a work of God in the heart of the sinner. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, uh, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Father, we know, we ask now for your blessings on the preaching of your word. We ask that it will be, that it will fulfill the purpose for which it has been sent. In Christ's name, amen. Title of our message this morning is The Wicked Prince or The Evil Prince. And that's in your bulletin there, as you see. First of all, before we get into that, you who are dead, there's nowhere a more clear statement of the total inability of the natural man to please God nor come to Christ. The natural man cannot come to Christ any more than Lazarus could raise himself from the dead. We are dead. Who were dead? We were dead in trespasses and sin. And then secondly, in verse 2 and 3, the prince of the power of the air. Christ called him the prince of this world in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, verse 11. Ephesians, the timeline here on Ephesians, Ephesians was written before the great tribulation took place as is described in Matthew 24, which according to Matthew 21:41 and 23:33 took place at the Jewish Roman War in 70 AD. At the start of that war, Josephus tells us that Titus told the Jews that God had sent him to destroy Jerusalem. And he offered them peace if they would only stop the rebellion. In accord with our Lord's prophetic words, in that destruction, every stone of Jerusalem was overturned. Titus then plowed the foundation of Jerusalem with a yoke of oxen and he sowed the site with salt so nothing would grow on it. It remained a heap of rubble for about 300 years before people started building on that rubble. So what we see today is many feet above what was Jerusalem in uh, Peter's day. This letter is probably Paul's strongest statement that, God, uh, that God's eternal purpose and pleasure would be accomplished as carnal Israel was to be destroyed in the coming war. That war fulfilled God's prophesied wrath against the 1,500-year-old rebellious Hebrew-Jewish world. That prophesied carnage was to be the worst event of destruction in world history, according to our Lord. Nothing like it before, nothing like it since. It would come in just a few years, and it would cause, it would have caused these first century Christians to doubt that King Jesus was in control. It was going to be so horrible. Paul's words here, uh, all through Ephesians, are words of comfort to the believers between Christ and that war. Christians have been plagued with that doubt down through the ages. 
Psalms 37 and Psalm 73 are psalms, two psalms that complain about the wicked prospering while the righteous suffer. We have the same issue today. It appears as we look around that the whole world lieth in wickedness. 1 John 5, 19. Yet we have the same assurance here, prophetic assurance here, that the Ephesians, the, the, the Ephesians had. Isaiah 26, 9. Now you might want to write down these passages because I'm not going to read them. Proverb, uh, Isaiah 26, 9 assures us that God's righteous judgment is at work against pro, uh, apostasy and evil, both inside and outside of the church. Now, there are four purposes of history, which I don't have time to get into. And Isaiah tells us that one of those purposes is to teach the world righteousness through God's righteous judgment upon the earth. Read the passage there and you'll see that. Paul comforts the new Israel of God here by giving them the same assurance that the ancient Hebrew prophets gave God's people. The assurance is that evil is not out of control. The assurance is that all things are working together to accomplish God's predetermined divine purpose in history and bring in worldwide righteousness. Let me give you a few points now about this prince. First, this prince is not a king. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 Paul made it clear that Christ is the king and he is the absolute ruler over everything that can be named in heaven above, uh, on earth and under the earth. He is the undisputed ruler in time and in eternity. Willingly or unwillingly, the evil prince only does according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1, verse 11. Second, this evil prince is, um, this evil prince is in total subjection to Christ. Ephesians 1, 21. All power in heaven and earth belongs to the resurrected Christ. Matthew 28, 18. Now, listen. It's a sin to attribute any independent power to Satan. That's a sin. Because he has no independent power. He can't have any independent power. All power belongs where? To Christ. The only power Satan might have is the power that Christ gives to him. It's a sin to attribute any independent power to Satan. He is only a prince and he must answer to the king who, um, the king of kings. He is the prince of the power of the air. He's not the king. He's a prince. In other words, it's a sin to fret and doubt him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The evil prince is totally under God's control. Proverbs 28 and 29 
verse 18 tells us that without proper vision, proper biblical vision of God's history, which is centered in the victory of the resurrected Christ, God's people become helpless victims of the powers of darkness. Without a vision, without a proper vision from the word of God, his people perish, is what it says there in Proverbs 29, 18. We must have a proper vision of the, uh, of the glorious Christ, the resurrected Christ, a proper vision of God's vision of history, ver- uh, purpose of history, or we will become totally discouraged and ready, ready to throw up our hands and say, what's the use? How many people have done that? How many people have we known that have done that, turned their back on God? What's the use? What's the use? Third, the evil prince and those who follow, him, who follow him are unknowingly doing the will of God. This is found in Psalms 33, verse 10. I will read this one. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart are all uh, his forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. It's a counsel of the Lord that will stand, not the counsel of evil men. Those of Psalms 2 verse 2, who counseled together against the Lord and his anointed, are, are identified by Peter in Acts 4 verses 27 and 28. And again, I'm not going to look them up, but I do encourage you to look them up. In Acts 4:23, Peter told the Jews that though evil men of history counsel together, their counsel fulfills the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. As evil men work their evil counsels, they are only accomplishing God's everlasting purpose. If there's anything clear in the word of God, I hope you'll see this. If you don't see anything else, I hope you see this. God is in control and it's our responsibility to follow him and trust him. We are told in Isaiah 46.10 that only what fulfills God's divine pleasure and counsel will stand. For he has declared the end of history from the beginning of history. He established how history would go. From the time of the creation, the evil powers and authorities of this world are only doing the pleasure of the creator. And all these things are studies in themselves. Psalms 76 verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. God only allows enough of the wrath of man to please him. Once it gets to the point where it pleases him, then he cuts it off. He restrains it. He only allows it to go this far. This is what he determined will play uh, will please him. No further. Can't go any farther. And that's a uh, that's a verse that we should keep in mind. Ephesians three ten through twelve, divine providence controls history <coughs> to bring about God's righteous judgment against unbelief and apostasy. apostasy and to advance the gospel church 
and to bring glory to his son in fulfillment of the everlasting covenant among the triune God. That's Ephesians 3, 10 through 12. Though Christ had all power from eternity past, he laid that power aside for 33 years so he could provide redemption for his people. At the resurrection, he was reinstated on his throne, and from that throne all things shall be subdued to him. Again, according to the uh, 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 covenant between the triune God, it will accomplish his sovereign will in the kingdom of men and devils. Ephesians 1, 19-23 tells us that Psalms 110-1 was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. Compare these passages. It, I don't see how anyone can possibly miss what is being said here in the New Testament as he explains how these Old Testament prophecies applied all applied to Christ. He came to fulfill the prophecies. Prophecy centers around Christ. Doesn't center around some uh, uh, anti-Christ nation over there in Palestine, regardless of what the politically correct uh, and uh, biblical, uh, anyway, the PC crowd might say. Prophecy, the word of God, centers around the resurrected Christ. You read the Bible and read prophecy with that in mind. It revolves around Christ. Psalms 110, the father promised the son that he shall place all the son's enemies under his authority. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28, that the end shall come after the father has subdued all things to the Son. Now, how will the Father fulfill His promise to the Son? It's clearly not a physical promise. It's not a political promise. And it's not a military promise because it is a spiritual warfare. We're not involved with uh, warfare, uh, flesh and blood, and swords and spears and guns. And uh, I would admit I'd like to have 50 caliber rifle, but that's side the point. Uh, they're too expensive to fire. Uh, but that's not our warfare. Our warfare is spiritual. And Christ and Paul describes that spiritual warfare and gives us the weapons of our warfare. And when we lay down those weapons, we're taken captive by the wicked prince. Those passages, John 12, verse 32, John 17, 7, 9, 11 and 24. Isaiah 5, 26, 7, 18, and Zechariah 10, verse 8. God is doing according to his eternal purpose in the kingdoms of men. And as I thought about that, even George Soros, about everybody knows his, uh, his unlimited efforts trying to overthrow America. Uh, he's financing, he's the one financing all these rights that we see going around. Even, uh, even he is acting according to God's eternal purpose. We look at these evil men counseling together. They are doing God's will. They won't admit it, but they're doing it. God's accomplishing his eternal purpose. 
Even though they might be serving the world, flesh, and the devil with all their heart, soul, mind, and might, and money, they're accomplishing God's purpose. Fourth, the evil prince has limited power. That is, he cannot stand against the Spirit of God. Acts 20, verse 18, the Lord told Paul, who had been on his way to Damascus, that he was to open the eyes of the Gentiles uh, and turn them, uh, open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among uh, them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Fifth, the evil prince dwells in and controls the space around us, Ephesians 2 and verse 2. God has given him a limited power and control of all things, seen and unseen, those things that are outside of the kingdom of his dear son. Those who are not with the son are outside the kingdom. They are working against the son. Luke 22, verse 53 That evil spirit can only work according to the counsel of God's own will. It is the sovereign will of God the Father that the powers of darkness have been given the lower reaches, uh, regions around us to inhabit and work. In the lower regions, they are close at hand to work their mischief, both in the world of nature and in uh, wicked men, as happened in Job. Sixth, the prince is close at hand. I would have rearranged these, but I already had the notes uh, in the bulletin. Uh, the prince is close at hand. He is a prince of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And we'll talk about that a little later. The prince even now walks throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. Paul assures the Colossians that their redemption through Christ's blood delivered them from the powers of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. The son provides forgiveness of sin and heirship to all the covenant promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. We are heirs through Christ to all those promises that you read in Scripture Seventh, the prince unites, um, I'm sorry, the prince unites all the various powers of darkness to work against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. According to Psalms 2, the spirits of wickedness unite those who are dead in trespasses and sin. He unites him in counsel to overthrow uh, the Lord and his anointed. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The rulers of darkness of this world today seem to be prospering greatly. However, it's only because of the merciful patience of God that he is withholding their just judgment. Because his just judgment is withheld from them, 
they feel like they can continue in their wicked deeds unjudged. Romans 2, verses 1 through 6, and of course, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the Son of Man is fully set in them to do evil. John seven twenty four. The king warns the saints not to judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment according to the promises of his word. Our problem is that we look around at what appears and we, uh, we get discouraged or disquieted or disheartened because of what appears around us, the turmoil, particularly as we see the history of our nation being erased, textbooks being rewritten, uh, everything under the sun's being done to stamp out Christianity. But we know many have tried it before, and they reap God's judgment. The pro- we see those tumultuous things, and we take our eyes off the Lord and his promise to the son of his victory in history. Eighth, Ephesians 2 2 and 3, the prince works in the children of disobedience. Now look back at that verse, Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3. Notice the order that it is given. It is not the powers of darkness that cause disobedience. Rather, it is the individual's self-will disobedience that allows the powers of darkness to work their mischief in the individual and thus in the society. I'll show my age. How many of you remember the old Flip Wilson uh, sitcom? What what did his t-shirt say? The devil made me do it. I'm sorry, the devil didn't make you do it, folks. It's your own lust. It's our own lust that does it. The devil did not make us do it. Uh, James 1, verse 13 and 14. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God does not tempt you to sin. The devil does not uh, tempt these things like that. God does not cause anyone to sin. Rather, God leaves man alone so he can follow his own sinful lust to his own destruction. How many times did God tell Israel, O Israel, why hast thou destroyed thyself? He says the same thing today to a fallen man. Oh, fallen man, why do you destroy yourself? I have given you the opportunity. I have given you the way out. I have given you uh, safety from that destruction in Christ, in the risen Christ. Nor does the evil prince cause sin. Rather, the evil prince is always close at hand to work his mischief. And what is his mischief? 
the evil prince. Now we're talking about Satan. We're talking about the devil. His mischief, his job or his responsibility is not to tempt us to lie, cheat, or steal. We get all that temptation from in here. His temptation is to make a person think that he can be his own God. Wasn't that his temptation to Adam? That's been the temptation down through the ages is he tempts men to be their own God. I can determine for myself what I need to do in order to go to heaven. I can determine for myself how to live so I can have, be, uh, have peace and prosperity. I can determine these things for myself. That's Satan's temptation. You can be your own God. And we see that all around us. The state says it can be God. The uh, society around us says that it can be God. No. Satan's temptation is to tempt a person to be their own God. His own God. Satan's temptation to me is you can be your own God. and Determine for yourself whether this is right or wrong. You don't need the word of God to make that determination. Just make up your own mind. Follow the heart. And, and boy, every movie you watch just about uh, that's even family friendly is follow your heart. Follow your heart. You just see it everywhere. Follow your own heart. Well, that will definitely lead to destruction. Follow the word of God. Follow the leading of the spirit. The devil does not tempt us to lie, cheat, nor steal. His job is to tempt man to be his own God and determine for himself what is right and wrong. The prince, uh, James 1, 4 is clear, 1, 14 is clear as he tells us that we are drawn into these various sins by our own lusts. I've heard people say, uh, get, uh, get thee behind me, Satan, and push. And, uh, and many folks seem to be, live, that kind of a, live that kind of a life. Get behind me, Satan, and push me into these wicked deeds. <clears throat> the prince works in the children of disobedience. God warned God's, uh, Paul warned God's people in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. When a person walks in willful disobedience, he gives permission for the powers of darkness to work in his life. Willful disobedience gives place to the devil, according to Paul. But God, who is rich in mercy, he has made us new creation through faith in the redemptive work of Christ. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2. That new creation is free from the law of sin and death. The new man has a new desire and power to live above, uh, live above sin. Thereby stripping the powers of darkness of their power in the lives of the redeemed. The new man has been equipped by the Spirit of God to do what Adam failed to do. It's the power of the living Christ within us that enables us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Without that power, there is no hope. <clears throat> Ninth, the prince builds his followers 
I'm sorry, the prince blinds his followers in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 7. I'll just read verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world. According to A.T. Robertson, the word world here is actually age, which is not an uncommon usage. When Satan tempted Christ, he claimed that he had the unlimited rule over the world because it had been given to him by Adam. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, here that we just read, this is the only place where God, where Satan can be identified as a God. Now, uh, some of the translations have God there as a little g and some have God there as a big g. Uh, but let me give you the explanation for it. Uh, elsewhere, he is identified as simply a lower power or prince. The best explanation, God of this world. That is, Satan is the God of those who are outside the kingdom of God. He is the God of those who desire to be their own God. He is the God of those who desire to follow their own lusts. He is the God of those outside the kingdom of God. The God of those who follow sin, uh, Adam's sin. Romans 6, verse 16 through 22. Verse 16 says... Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are uh, ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servant to righteousness unto holiness. For ye were the servants of sin, but ye are free from, uh, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now shamed? For the end of those things is death, but now be made free from sin, become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Paul here clearly tells us <coughs> that the children of disobedience are, servant, uh, are Satan's willing servants. Disobedience keeps the disobedient subject to the powers of darkness and on their deadly path to destruction. Only the one who has the keys to death and hell can release them from their prison of darkness into his glorious light. Philippians 3.18 For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even uh, weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. 
the God of this world, blinds those who serve the God of lust and sensual pleasure. He blinds them to the glorious gospel of freedom that is in Christ Jesus, the freedom promised by the gospel. Only the Spirit's call to obedience to the gospel can free the sinner from Satan's realm of dominion to serve the Lord God. It is the word of God who must replace the God of this world with the creator God of heaven and earth. Ephesians 2 verse 4 uh, 4 again. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us even when we were dead uh, dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ for by grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kingdom toward us through Jesus Christ for by grace are you saved through faith not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. Uh, I heard a a good Armenian preacher try to explain that verse in verse 9, and he said uh, of what it is, uh, God knew uh, who was going to to come to him uh, so he didn't have to foreordain it, but he did foreordain that they walk in good works. He didn't foreordain their salvation, but he did foreordain that they do good works. Uh, and he obviously had to tie that passage up in knots uh, in order to make it support what he wanted to believe. Uh, Paul gives the purpose of being quickened together with Christ. We have been created a new man unto good works. He, God has called himself out a new nation, a new people. He has empowered them by his spirit to obey himself. He has empowered them by his spirit to do good works. And doing those good works, they expand the kingdom of God. Let us not be deceived into thinking that the whole world is spinning out of control. We must proceed in our Christian profession of faith with the sure confidence that all things are working together to bring history to its final conclusion, which is the Father subduing all things to the Son. The subjection is accomplished by His Spirit. He brings peace with God and man by working in the hearts of the King's enemies. How does He expand His kingdom? Well, He expands His kingdom by Christians obeying the word of God in the workplace, no matter if they're in a, play, in, in a place of authority, then they insist that those under uh, their authority uh, live, uh, uh, obey the laws of God. Doesn't necessarily have to require that they be saved, obviously, but he can require that they uh, be honest in their work. He can require... Um, he can require to them to work hard in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to him that worketh all things after the counsel 
of his own will. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Let us be found faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ in doing our part to expand the kingdom of God in whatever realm that God has given us. In the family, by insisting godly godliness within our family, we extend the kingdom of God. In our community, by, uh, by doing what we can to insist that godly uh, activity now, it's not, I'm not talking about, uh, anyway, godly activity being forced. We, uh, in Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, I did spend uh, uh, seven years in Louisiana, and I know what rain is like down there. And it breeds cockroaches, I guarantee, cockroaches and ticks. Uh, I'll never, anyway, it does breed cockroaches and ticks. But in, in West Virginia, we attempted to hold a council, uh, uh, the county council, accountable for what they were doing in misusing public funds. Christians can do that. And we had a pagan lawyer that backed us up on it, too. He loved it. Um, anyway, but let us be found faithful in doing our part to expand the kingdom of God in the realm of whatever authority we have been assigned by divine providence family, occupation, community, you can have an influence for Christ as we stand for him. Amen and amen.